This is the Byron Bledsoe podcast, senior pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Today, I'm going to talk about something for a few moments. I just want us to have a brief uh, conversation. I'm going to talk about something that's much easier to talk about than it is to actually live. When I was about four years old, I went, my dad took me out to my uncle's in Texas. My uncle was a a huge cattle rancher. And we were walking through the stockyards there, and my dad picked me up and put me over the fence into this little pen, maybe 12 by 12 with a calf. And for the first few moments, it was a blast. I remember I was chasing the calf. We, We were having fun. It was no big deal until I cornered that calf. And then all of a sudden, without warning, that calf ran straight through me, knocked me over. It's the first memory I have of ever having the wind knocked out of me. I couldn't breathe. And I was looking at my dad and my uncle, Uncle Red, Texas cattle rancher, Uncle Red. I was looking at them and they're laughing and I'm thinking, I'm dying and you're laughing. I thought you loved me. I had no idea that they knew what I didn't know and that this was just going to be temporary. The next few times we went to my uncle's house, I was... I was a little bit cautious. I was a little bit concerned. Have you ever been in those moments where something happened and you thought, man, I I don't know if I can take that again. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know how much longer I can deal with this. Acts chapter 23, verse 11, one verse, one verse. Notice this verse, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but to understand this moment, we have to understand how it began. We have to understand what happened. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, hey, what's been going on in Jerusalem? How it's been in Jerusalem? I want you to do the same thing in Rome, and it's probably going to go the same way. In Jerusalem, Paul was beaten. Paul was treated horribly. He was mocked. He was maligned. He he was ostracized. I mean, Jerusalem was not vacation. It it was hard time in Jerusalem. And he's trying to share the good news, the gospel, about how God loves us. And he sent Jesus. And he's facing one rejection after another, threatened with his life, beaten multiple times. He's dealt with all of that. And the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. What what you've done here, you're going to get to do that again. It's almost like if God said to you and me, hey, just like 2020 was, do that again in 2021. The financial hits you took, the difficulty of isolation that you've walked through when everything was shut down for a moment. Thank God we're in Florida and we're, we're opening up. But, but all the challenges, all the things you've had to deal with, get ready. You get to do that again. In Jerusalem, Verse 10, we read what happened before. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn into pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. And it's in that context, it's that violent, that's it, that intense, that God says, hey, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Notice verses 12 and 13 of Acts 23. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. Hey, as hard as it's been, as difficult as it's been, people are trying to kill you. That's going to continue a little bit longer. What do we do 
when we hit those verse 11 moments in our lives? What do we do when we feel like, man, this has been a hard road. This has been a difficult season. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of challenge. And then we find out or we begin to sense this is going to last longer. What do we do when we get to verse 11 in our lives? Are are you tired of getting verse 11 over and over again? This is going to be the rest of your journey for a while. Verse 11 with your health. Verse 11 with your marriage. Verse 11 financially. What do we do when we're praying and we're begging God for something great in our lives, but we continue to get verse 11? Hey, what what you've been doing, what's been happening, just keep doing that. It's going to be that way longer. And what does Paul know that we don't? Because he he just does it. Paul hasn't forgotten. He remembers how it all began. See, when we fail to remember our journey, And how it began, we can't understand. Here's what Paul remembers. Here's what Paul has never gotten over. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, Saul was Paul before he was Paul. His name changed. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. There was a time in Paul's life when he was Saul that he was trying to wipe out this this new sect of Judaism, this Christianity or people that were following Christ that was called followers of the way. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And then we see chapter 9, verse 15. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul has this radical transformation where in one moment he doesn't like anything about Followers of Jesus, he doesn't like anything about followers of the way. He doesn't believe their message. He doesn't believe in what they're doing. And actually, he would have said at the time when he saw, because he loves God, he's trying to get rid of this new form of faith. And then he has an encounter with Christ that radically changes his life. He comes to that moment where he understands that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to earth and paid the price for Paul's sin, your sin, my sin. He comes to that moment where he understands that. So everything we walk through in life, when you go through your verse 11s in life, everything we walk through always has to be viewed through the lens of chapter chapter 9. All of the verse 11s, the moments of struggle, the hardship, the it's not getting better, I thought it would be better by now, have to be viewed through the lens of chapter 9. Who Jesus is, how much he loves you, how he's changed your life. And when you get a verse 11, hey, I know it's been tough, but you're going to get to do that again. Paul, he, he doesn't think about it. He doesn't think about the beatings. He doesn't think about the challenge. He doesn't think about the fear. He doesn't think about the threats. He thinks about chapter 9. So what is your chapter 9 story? Do you remember? The the moment that you met Christ, that one moment that didn't just change your day, it changed all of your days, that that one moment that changed all of your tomorrows. Where were you in the moment when, when you gave your life 
to Christ, when did you realize that what you deserved and what God did for you instead of that? Have you forgotten? Does it factor into your Tuesday? Does it factor into your marriage? Does it, does it factor into your finances or your parenting or your friendships? See, that kind of love, the love God has for us, a love that is so deep, this, this abiding love, it all began with God loving you and God loving me. It didn't begin with us. God loved Paul before Paul loved God. And we tend to think in our culture, we tend to function in this kind of love where we define in a way, hey, if you do this for me and if you love me back and if you, if you treat me well, then I'll love you. But God loved us before we ever loved him. And I can't love like Jesus unless he's in me. He first loved us. See, the reality is because God loved me, I love him. And so one of the questions in life is we say we love God, but how do I know if I really love God? How how do I get to that place like Paul where it's like, hey, you're going to have to go through this longer and his attitude is cool because chapter nine is so much, so much ingrained in him. And it's not that he would sign up for chapter 11. It's not that he would want to go through or verse 11. It's not that he would want to go through that again, but he's okay with it because chapter nine is so profound in his life and he recognizes how much God loves him. So how do I know How do I know? Is there some sort of way I can know if I really love God? Well, Scripture says there are two things. One of the ways I can know, sort of diagnose, where is my love for God, is how do I respond to His teachings? The Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so the things that are taught in the Scriptures, I know I love God when I obey those things. Not just the convenient ones, but the uncomfortable teachings of Jesus. When I I lean into that and I apply that to my life, And even when it's something that I wouldn't prefer, I know that, hey, God is smarter than me, wiser than me, loves me deeply. He's never been wrong. So I'm going to obey his teaching. The other way I know is not only how do I respond to his teachings, but how do I treat his children? How do I treat other people? Jesus said the bottom line is love God and love others. So how am I loving people? So the way I can know, hey, do I really love God? Am I obeying what scripture teaches? And am I loving other people? And not just the people that are lovable. Like, there's no special, unique credit for loving people that are easy to love. Do you love the people that are hard to love? If my kids say, hey, Dad, man, we love you. But they don't do anything I ask. In fact, they spend a lot of their time doing the opposite of what I ask. If that were the case, would they really be loving me? If they never talked to me, If they never spent time with me, are they loving me? If they don't make it a priority to hang out with the family because they know how it pleases me, do they really love me? If someone looked at your calendar, your daily schedule, your bank statement, and how you serve through the local church, would they say, it's obvious, man, you you love God. I can only really love God. And I can only live from that perspective when I go back to the chapter 9 in my life. See, I I think, sadly, there are too many times in my life and maybe times in your life where we sort of get over what God's done for us. Where we, in a way, take for granted the way God has loved us and how He sacrificed and how He gave His Son. Paul wouldn't go from town to town and get beaten and rejected and mocked so many times if it wasn't for chapter 9. There would be no point. But Paul had in his mind, man, look look what God has done for somebody like me. When you see what I really deserve, 
And instead, his love, his grace, his mercy, all of that undeserved God has given me? I think it's important to understand, especially especially right now, in this sliver of time in history, in what we're facing as a culture and all of the issues that are now hot button issues. And it's not just one thing or two things. It seems like everything is sort of polarizing and everybody gets offended just like that. In this kind of culture, as followers of Jesus, our love is an action. Authentic love has never been just a feeling. It's an action. In fact, we know God loves us because he acted. John 3.16, the most famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. God didn't just feel it so deeply. He, he, he didn't just feel it in a real sincere way. He, God didn't just think nice thoughts about us. He did something. And that's what love does. So in every bad day, in every hard season we face, we have the opportunity to show love to sacrificially love others in a profound way so that the grace that I've experienced becomes contagious. In fact, James chapter 2, Scripture says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So we can't just say we love God. We have to act on it. We have to follow His teachings. We can't just say we love people. We have to act on it. And you can't, and I can't, authentically love unless we've been authentically loved. We can't extend grace unless we've received grace. We can't show mercy unless we've been shown mercy. We we can't really love our enemies until we remember how much God loved us when we were his enemy. Do you remember your chapter nine? Has that ever happened in your life? The moment where you committed your life to Christ, like Saul did on that Damascus road. And you might be thinking, well, man, I've, I've never killed Christ followers. Maybe you've wanted to, because some people are obnoxious that say they love God and love Jesus. But, but you'd say, man, I, I've never killed Christ followers. No, but you've been killing what God's been wanting to do in your life. You've been killing some of your relationships because of your selfishness. You've been killing your obedience to the God who created you. You've been killing your finances because you don't follow the teachings of God. You've been living for yourself and pursuing what you wanted, not what God wants for you. And in all of that, because I've done the same thing, in all of that, he still loved you. He still loved me. And he offers to change us, to show forgiveness. While we were living like his enemy, he loved us. And it seems like today we have more enemies than ever. The disagreements are broader. The feelings are stronger. There's this us versus them in so many areas of our lives. Whether it's race or politics or just any issue in culture, mask, no mask, COVID is a pandemic. And then people also say at the same time, As we look around and everybody going to stores and going everywhere, this is not what a pandemic looks like. There's been no pandemic in history that has looked like this. It's so polarizing. People that wear masks are mad at people that don't. People that don't are mad at people that do. How do we we live in this kind of tension where we're not trying to literally kill people? But what's the difference if we have hate for people we disagree with? How do we live in a culture 
that seems to be giving us more enemies than friends. See, as followers of Jesus, we're called to love. But here's the thing about love, because I think, I think we're confused about what love is. Love doesn't mean that I accept every opinion and every thought. Love doesn't mean that, okay, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you believe, you're okay. I accept that. that that's called enabling, and it's often very damaging. If you decide one day, hey, I woke up and today, I just, I feel like I'm British. I feel like I'm British, so I'm going to drive on the left side of the road all day long. I'm going to drive on the left side of LFA. I'm going to drive on the left, the wrong way on 408. I'm going to drive on the left side of I-4. No matter how sincerely you are in believing that, Love doesn't make me say, hey, go, man, I I think that's an awesome thing. I'm glad you feel that way today. Dive into it all the way. That's not love. That's enabling, and enabling is damaging. Authentic love comes from a place where we desire the best for the other person according to what God teaches. True love, true love doesn't cancel. Only hate cancels. And have you ever noticed how many people seem to be being canceled in our culture How many ideas there's this attempt to cancel? How many people we're willing to say are horrible people just because they disagree with us? Hey, can I I help you with something? Because I love you. I want to be very, very honest. One day when this life is over and I get to heaven, there are going to be some things that I find out I was wrong about, things that I believe sincerely. And can I just tell you, for those of you that are Christ followers, like if you're not a Christ follower, you're going to find out you were wrong about everything. But for those of you that are Christ followers... When this life's over and you get to heaven, you're going to find out some of your deepest beliefs, some of the things that you were the most sincere about, some of the things that you severed relationships over, you were wrong about. Because we're called to love people. See, we have the answer. And the answer to every bit of what we're facing is the gospel. It's people knowing Jesus and experiencing freedom in him. We can truly live free when we know Jesus. It's not restraining, it's freeing. We can live without being afraid of what we're hearing on the news or or what the latest medical thing being said may be, but there's another opinion on the other side. We don't have to live on the crazy train of what these experts say versus what these experts are saying. We can live in absolute freedom because God is bigger than all of it. The answer to everything we're facing is Jesus, but we don't have the opportunity to share Jesus with people if we cancel them and decide we hate them. But when we share, hey, here's who Jesus is, here's what he did, here's what he's done for you, and I just want to pass it on, it's life-changing. If we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he loves each and every person, if we really believe God loves every single person he's ever created, and the only hope for salvation is to know the Father intimately, then why don't we share that with our friends? Why don't we get more caught up and more excited about who Jesus is and share that with our neighbors and our coworkers? My guess, and it's only a guess, is that there are a lot of followers of Jesus that are just not that excited about Jesus and what he can do for people. And I think in part it's because we have forgotten our own chapter nine. It's just not that big of a deal to us anymore. Think about during COVID. The things that we've shared, the things we've gotten excited about, the things that we've passed on. 
the new series that you binged, Queen's Gambit maybe, you, you shared that with everybody, you got to watch it. You've done some projects around the house and you've found out maybe you're a little more handy than you thought you were or you've had some epic fails in some of those projects and you post those on social media and you share those with people. Maybe you've upped your cooking game, you've had a little bit more time and so you're sharing and you send pics to everybody about, hey, this is the meal we had last night. The stuff we get excited about in life we just want to share it with others. Others, There was no question the week before the Super Bowl, there was no question if someone was a fan of Kansas City or a fan of Tampa Bay. You knew it. People were excited. They would share that. The, the new show we're watching, the new hobby we have, the restaurant we found, the new store where you can get the great deal, where to buy that online for a better price. We share what we're excited about. So why don't we share more about Jesus and the good news about God? Maybe because sometimes we're more embarrassed. Are we really more excited about changing someone's evening show than changing their life? If we are, then we're forgetting. We're forgetting chapter 9. I'm at chapter 50 in my life. Chapter 9 was a long time ago. And there are seasons where what used to blow my mind about the goodness of God, what used to capture my heart about the mercy and the love and the grace of God, well, I've been through a lot of verse 11s. And if I'm not careful, I tend to spend more time focusing on the verse 11s and living those and dealing with those and, and focusing on that, on that than I do remembering chapter 9. And when I get caught in that trap, I don't really pass on his love the way I should. Because we can become distracted with the verse 11s. And in the verse 11s, we don't see the opportunity we have to love people. Our faith can become very private. And we'll talk about the series we watched or the game we played or the place we ate. But Paul, after just being beaten and trashed and thrashed, God says, hey, hey, take courage. You're going to get to do this again. And Paul just says, I'm in. I'm there, I'll do it. Uh, Paul has this attitude. I'm not done sharing real love and real grace and real mercy because at the end of the day, that's what changes people's lives. At the end of the day, a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with the living God is the only thing that's really gonna help anybody in this world. And Paul says, man, I'm not done sharing that because I'm not done experiencing real love, real grace, and real mercy. See, often the only difference between a bad moment or a painful, difficult season and a great opportunity, the only difference is found in our perspective. So what is your bad moment that's maybe become a bad season? The diagnosis, the job situation, your finances, the really bad moment or bad season, is it that or is it an opportunity? Perspective makes all the difference. See, I think as followers of Jesus, we have to ask the question, did Jesus die on the cross to set me up for a life of luxury? Or did Jesus suffer and die on the cross so that when I go through suffering, I can help set others free because we all go through suffering? Is it that we call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we expect to live a better life than he did? We know that we're promised heaven. We can just become very short-sighted and think it's supposed to happen now. And our selfishness 
if we're not careful, will kill our sacrificing out of love for others. Perspective. He didn't come into my life in chapter 9 to give me the biggest house on the street. He came into my life in chapter 9 when I didn't deserve his love, when I was living as his enemy. And he should have killed me, but he gave me grace and mercy. And he's shown me that I can walk into every verse 11 and show grace and mercy to other people. These are the challenging times, are opportunities to show what love really looks like because anybody can love when it's easy. But these are the moments to show what love looks like, loving God and loving other people. These are not bad moments that are sent to destroy or devastate me. These are opportunities. And so God says to Paul, take courage. Know that I'm going to work in every single situation that you face. And you're going to go through this again. And your love for people, how you love God and how you love people, will turn this to an opportunity that impacts eternity. So the more we remember and think about and live in the reality of our chapter 9, that moment in your life when you became a Christ follower, the more we will see our verse 11s as opportunities. Our opportunity to be God's answer, maybe to somebody else's prayer. Our opportunity to serve in a way when people are blown away that we would even be serving because of what we're walking through. Our opportunity to be difference makers and love God and love others and carry the greatest message of hope the world has ever known and will ever know. That's the opportunity we have. I want to invite you to pray with me today. And maybe as you're watching in this moment, you realize you don't, you don't have a chapter nine. But today, this day, this moment can be your chapter nine. I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. If you've never committed your life to Christ, and today can be that moment, that Damascus Road moment that that Saul had, the moment when you invite Jesus to come into your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just pray this simple prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, I say yes to you. Please come into my life and forgive my sin and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. Would you shoot me a text? Just send your first name and shoot the text to 407-487-8311. The reason I ask you to do that is I would love to be able to pray for you throughout the day. I'd love to be able to pray for you this week by name and ask God to continue to work in your life and to bless you. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.